Welcome to Radical Remembering with psychologist Dr. Narissa and Dr. Buki. This is a weekly conversation where we explore the ways we've internalized oppression and consider what it really means to be liberated. Each episode will leave you with intimate knowledge of the liberation process, sprinkle a little healing magic, and leave you with wisdom for your journey. So what's good, y'all? Narissa. All right, this is our first podcast. So I think we should probably start with telling people how we even met. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. What's your, um, what's your memory of it? My memory of it, right? So we were supposed to meet as far as I'm concerned because I had, at the time, I was the director of a, a master's program at NYU and I, my students kept insisting that I come to this. They had a power and partnership group insisting that I come to this particular meeting. And I was like, okay, it's late. It's seven o'clock on a Friday. And I had a 40 hour work week. And I went and the speaker was somebody who was interning for you. And I don't know, everything they were saying about you was intriguing to me. And I remember Googling you and seeing your face from then. And then a little bit after that, being at Ken Hardy, one of Ken Hardy's conference and seeing your name as a speaker, fast forward a few months, um, recently moved to Maplewood, New Jersey, and I'm at this festival I had never been to before. And I'm like, is that, is that the woman whose picture I've been seeing? Like, this is crazy. But also add to that, our friends, our shared friends, Melissa Robinson, Dr. Mel Robinson, had been telling me, oh, you have to meet Buki. You have to meet my friend Buki. So, and this is all, this is four different avenues pointing to, to you or to our union. So by the time we finally met in what, September, so that's not even a full year at the time of this recording, either you had just come in or I had just, you had just come in and you had your plate in your hand and we were standing up talking for like a good 45 minutes and we knew immediately like, this is it. This is it. Yeah. 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 No. Cause I feel like, yeah. When I feel like when I, it's like spirit sisters, you know, and, you know, by the way, for the audience, you know, I identify as gender non-conforming. So a lot of times if I use like identify sister, like a, like brother, sister. So like, you know, my, the masculine core of me, I'm always wanting to be held. But there's something actually quite comfortable, actually, with you in this sense of like sister, sisterhood. I put an asterisk right behind it. But literally, I think I wish I had been there because there's something about generous. I think when people meet you, there is a gentleness there is like lots of like um, space you like give. There is a brilliance. There is a groundedness in terms of the way you like move in the world. And like, it's easy to be attracted to that, you know? And I feel like certainly Mel had been talking, like you were like Mel's new like friend that Mel was just kept to talk about. And she told me about some of those things that y'all had like, like been involved with that like I already knew were like people. And, and the thing about like, you know, that connection is that like, I trust, I trust Mel. And so I trust whoever she says are her people are like immediately my people, you know? But one of the things just I remember is like the fact that like, I feel like I, we, I came into that party with like crazy energy, but I was starving. But I like literally like was talking to you and I was just like, oh my God, Marissa is so fucking brilliant. Oh, sorry, we're a lot of curse. I'm like, I'm a lot Like, you know, like I was just like, just in, I was engaged and I feel like talking to you is one like, you're someone who like when people talk with you, they leave that conversation whether or not they intended, they leave that conversation a little bit smarter. You know, they like understand something a little bit more like precisely. So I'm, I feel blessed about like our like union and like your invitation to be like, yo, I think we could do some, some fun work around this um, together. So thank you for like everything you, and people don't know, y'all don't know is like Narissa has been the brain behind a lot of what we're going to be doing and y'all going to see us do is, you know, this vision, which, you know, she, she's had this vision 
feel like it made sense to me in my spirit as well. But like, I just want to be explicit and to give you credit for the fact that if y'all are listening to us and watching us right now, it is because of a lot of the like heavy lift that Narissa has done. So I just want to be explicit about my, my gratitude to you for all of that. Thank you. You're trying to make me cry. Like, like, um, thank you. Thank you. Talk about feeling seen. I feel wholly seen. I appreciate that. And just so that, you know, when I, when I, whenever I talk to you about to somebody, I already, I always feel like you already have met everybody in my circle and you just really, you haven't yet, but I'm always, I always say too, I was like, oh, to, to know Buki is to love her. You know what I mean? Because I, I feel, I feel the same about you and and your person and your charisma and, you know, your brilliance also, you know, every single time that we have a conversation, like she sees so clearly, she sees so clearly. And it makes me know how, how, how good at your work you, you must be. Right. So can you share a little bit about, about the work that you do, Dr. Kolewale? Really? Really? You gonna go there? Like, (laughs) You know, it's, you know, I'll put it this way, y'all. I am trained as a clinical psychologist and I've been talking very actively that I am actively in the process of reclaiming my identity as a healer. I think that when we go to school to go to grad school, there's a difference between learning to treat people versus learning to heal, right? And if I'm being like, if I'm like just being like to the heart of it is like, given white supremacy culture and how complicit our education systems and psychology has been in bed with like white supremacy ideology, in many ways, I feel like the training I received made me a psychologist, right? And I'm like, that's not what I signed up to be, right? I think that part of, you know, I think my, my gift, right, is really around being able to see people, being able to like support people in really like coming into their own truth telling their own truths, like feeling their own wisdom and like courage to do that. And, you know, I think so my, this is one way to just say, I think that the work I do, and I can get into like the details of, I do organizational work as well as like, I also provide like one-on-one as well as like uh, therapy for like um, partners. But I think the piece that I'm just saying is like, no matter what work I'm doing, part of what I'm always doing is healing. Right. And, 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 and to be clear, and I think it's a bi-directional experience that like, My work is healing for me, right? As I'm also feeling like permission to like really be leaning into this, like, you know, that word healing is such a a complicated word. And I think this is a part of our conversation around even our sense of audacity to like, when I say the word, I I have no, I I have no problem describing myself as a practitioner, right? But to say, yo, I'm a healer, there's a responsibility that comes with that word, you know? So I feel like, the best way to, to, you know, the best way to say is like, I'm doing healing work. And it's, it's really being in service of like, helping my people be able to like, reclaim their voices. And for our white brothers and siblings, uh, white brothers, sisters, and like non-binary siblings is really similarly to be helping them certainly be doing their own work too, so that we can really be involved in much more authentic relationship that doesn't require the kinds of patterns of relationship and relating that we've been engaged in. So I don't know if that's helpful, but it was like a long-winded, <laughs> long-winded way uh, of trying to introduce myself because I don't got a pitch. I don't do pitches, you know, and I should be doing pitches maybe, you know? Um, I love it. I love it because, because I also, in because, you know, what we will share with you all is that we're focused on liberation journeys. And I, I can hear the journey also in your identification of what it is you do and where you are, right? Because 
you move from the box of, of practitioner psychologists to something that is more broad and not, you know, situated only in, you know, your, your educational training and professional background and different things like that. So I think that that's liberating and decolonizing and exemplary of what it is where we're here and talking about to do. And so I probably wouldn't have even thought to, and that, I mean, that speaks to the, the liberating work that we all have to do, right? So I probably wouldn't even thought to identify myself in, in, an, in a context like this where there's a larger audience that I didn't know as a healer, but I most certainly am a healer and have been in healing professions for over 20 years, right? And so, and when I think healing, I think of it a little bit reverse from you. It feels like less pressure to me to say, to be a healer because I don't think that I have the power to heal anyone. I think that I create a healing context and the individual or the group, whomever I'm working with, can choose to step in and engage in that context, realize their own power. We share power together in that dynamic and we realize the healing together, right? And so for me, it takes a little bit less, uh, it takes a little bit less because I think of it in such a dynamic two-part, multi-part kind of way, it takes a less pressure off of me um, too. But I am also, my first degree is in social work and I definitely worked a lot in the community mental health centers. And then my, the doctoral degree is in psychology, which trained me more in the research realm because it's applied developmental psychology where I studied lifespan development and intervention throughout the, the lifespan. And so in many ways, I'm an interventionist scientist. Um, I would never, I never intended to steer away from mental health. And so I can never um, steer away from it. So I consider myself also a practitioner, even though I'm not actively seeking, seeing clients in that way right now, but I also do energy healing and different things like that too. And my, what I do full-time now is I partner with organizations as the CEO of Liberation RPI to help them move along and they're this, in this liberation journey. So to create context where marginalized people in general, but I'm, as a Black woman, I'm super passionate about the Black experience, and, but very much through an intersectional lens, because there is no single issue struggle, you know, as Angela Davis says. And so creating context where people are free to be themselves and free from white supremacy, because even white folks need to be free from white supremacy, because it's not working for any of us, it's, it's a, a very, very, very small subset of the population for whom it works for. And so my uh, my passion, and as one of my students said, she she's one of my biggest cheerleaders. She said, "You're doing the Lord's work." <laughs> so that's my that's my ministry right there. That's amazing. And no, I feel like exactly what you just did. Yeah, see, yeah, remember what I said earlier? Like already, how much have you already learned? Right, but I really, really appreciated how you broke down this piece around the ease with which you feel like you can use the word healer given that your sense of what you see as what you're responsible for is creating the container, right? And it's just a much more, what you said is you said it in a much more eloquent way. And I still think even sense of somehow, because I think healing is, it's organic. It is influenced by things that we don't always have control over. It is also influenced by our attention and our intention because of all of those things, I think even the sense of like somehow in my head, right? It is easier for me to have this model in my mind through which I do work. And it is an application of intervention. You see what I'm saying? It just feels, I, I feel like I have a lot more control, right? Whereas even the idea of like my role is to just to create the container. 
I'm just like, you see what I'm saying? So like my point is, you know, I feel like the piece I'm just trying to like um, emphasize is that like, I think that that thing you said earlier is like related to where you are in your journey is part of what makes it easier for you to be able to hold that with a little bit more comfort. And even that's just the word confidence, right? Then for example, someone like myself, where I'm still like, I'm trying to like be like, does it really fit? Can we really, can I really own that? Is that you know what I'm saying? So, so I just appreciate, appreciate the way you talked about that and like you think about that and just the, the recognition around sharing power as we think about, about like healing. So let's talk about what, what are we here to talk about? What is this podcast about? What can the people expect? Yeah. So but let, let's start because they, the, when we asked this question and we said like, we named this radical remembering, right? So I want to like, let's maybe we play with this idea. Like what is radical remembering to you? Mm-hmm. And break out, like maybe what we do is like break those words out together and then put them together. Okay. So when I think of radical, I think of an about face, right? So we are, we are in a stream going in one direction and that stream is white supremacy, male supremacy, you know, all those kinds of things. And when I think of radical, we're doing an about face in an environment that does not have the support for us. So it's really radical. It's really going against the current and going against the the stream. And the remembering part speaks to me about, it speaks to me about multiple things, right? So first it speaks to me about the fact that I do believe that in our DNA is encoded ancestral memory, spirit consciousness, and all these sorts of things. Like, so, so we know, right? So we, we know so much, but we've, forgotten in ourselves, like what it is that we do know, what it is that we're here to do, how we can better relate with one another. And so moving away from the toxins and poisons of of domination and that domination being white supremacy and, you know, all the other forms of supremacy manifest in society, moving away from those things so we can come back to our true essence, right? And so our true essence is a liberated, you know, space, a liberated being that is in right relationship with our own power, right? And so when I say remembering, it's for me, remembering our power, remembering our history, our stories, who we are. But I also think of it through a trauma lens, right? And so from a trauma lens, when when any individual or group has experienced trauma, we dissociate as a means of coping, right? And so when we dissociate, it becomes a separate part that is not digested into the whole, right? And so I, the, when we separate the, the head from the body, right? So I can cope and I can think about these things and I can move through and push through all these stressors, whether these be our personal family, you know, intimate family stressors or societal stressors or our ancestral history, the, you know, transatlantic trade, slave trade and all those things and we push forward, we're separating our head from our body. And so we're not embodied and we're not present in our body. And it has been, you know, necessary for our own own healing. But so when I think of remembering, I'm thinking of association, bringing back those parts of our stories, digesting it so that we have healing for ourselves, for the generations that come after us, as well as so it can trickle up the line and there's some intergenerational healing in our our bloodline. when I think of remembering, I'm thinking of bringing back the parts of ourselves that we've lost at the cost at, at because of trauma. Yeah, I think that's a, such a beautiful way, an eloquent way of describing it, and it's such a like this is what I was talking about. Like, like when when Dr. Narissa speaks, you better get those notes out 
right? Start writing things down, <laughs> you know? Because no, I think you, I just think you, you've broken it down on the different levels that need to be explicit. I think the only piece I would add for me is that one of the things that white supremacy culture deludes us about is this idea of objectivity. Mm. And that the only way to know is through the like, like the scientific mind and it's really just the mind. And there's been a devaluing, a devaluation of the body and around the ancestral wisdom we know, right? Around emotional experiences we have and emotional truth, right? And so for me, I think remembering is around like an interrogation of this idea of objectivity and really an abandonment to be clear, to recognize that objectivity ain't like it's, it's not real. We can't have it, right? The mere fact that we're human beings already, right, removes us from our ability to be objective. So like, let's stop lying about that, you know? So I think for me, I think it is a process of constantly reminding myself to no longer lie about that and, and the permission to start to claim all the parts of myself that I have, that has been, I have like separated from, right? Because of my attempts to succeed in a world that's dominated by white supremacy ideology. So I think that that's like what I, like the only piece I would add is just to like get like, what this piece of our objectivity, let's tell like, let's get to the heart of it for me. That's the piece that like, and to like, really, I mean, I, I was telling you the other day, I went to this retreat um, where a lot of the time was just spent in like somatic practices, right? Being able to be in touch with like our body and paying attention to sensation. Like, and literally, and this is the piece you, was, you were saying, like, like what happens when we've experienced trauma and like just this constant way our society has been like requiring us and cutting us off from like our body and the wisdom of our body, right? And, you know, and our body is keeping a whole lot, a whole lot of story, a whole lot, you know? So I think that it's this piece around becoming reacquainted with like our body and becoming more embodied with what we know, you know? So I think that's, that's the piece I would add to, add to what you've, you've already brilliantly shared about what radical remembering is. I'm like clapping on the inside because that, first of all, this conversation is so exciting to me. But so one, one of my favorite quotes that that brings to mind, Audre Lorde um, says in Sister Outsider, actually, no, it's, it's um, the, ma- the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. She says, the white father says, I think, therefore I am, right? And that speaks of that separation and how, you know, how Eurocentric culture has sought to normalize that as a way of being in our institution. But she said, the black mother says, I feel, therefore I can be free, right? And it's just like, if you just like think about, meditate on that, just that one verse right there, feeling, right? And being in your divine feminine, you know, and, and, and I'm not speaking about that in a gendered way, because I think we both have divine, we all have divine masculine and divine feminine characteristics. The society has geared us towards the divine masculine to the underdevelopment of the divine feminine. And really what she's talking about there is just, just living in that place of feeling and allowing ourselves to integrate all these things, like you're saying, and it has so many benefits, whether that's social, psychological, you know, emotional and all those kinds of things. So I appreciate what you had to say as well. Marissa, can you say that quote again? I feel, say say that quote again. So the white father, sorry, the white father says, I think, therefore I am. The black mother says, I feel, therefore I can be free. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing.
All right. So, okay. So now, I mean, I think part of the question is like, how did you get here, Nerissa? Like, like, can you tell the audience about like, like what brought you to this work? Dear, this has been a journey, right? There's a, there's, I'm like, what's the, what's the short version? Is there a short version? So, okay. So my family is from Trinidad, right? And so when, when your family is an immigrant and they come from a context, which is majority, well, you know, people of color right now, it's more Indian than it is black, but it's people of color, 98%, right? When you, it, when race black and white is not an issue, you come here and they don't prepare you for it because that was not their reality, Right. And so, and my family also, they received a lot of, when they came to the country, like, because they had a lot of negative things said about that, go back home on your banana boat and different things like that. They couldn't necessarily assimilate to the African-American culture because they felt outside of it and different things like that. So there was, but yet I still, I grew up in an African-American context, right? So I didn't have preparation for the racialized world that I was in. Fortunately enough, and I, and I say that and I give that context to say it's not their fault, right? Who Like this shit is not normal. We shouldn't have to socialize our children about race. It, I was fortunate enough when I was 14 to get a job at a, a youth organization in the community, United North Amityville Youth Organization. And it was led by Valerie Tuck. Give, I got to give praises, right? And so what they did was as part of our orientation, I, th- I thought the orientation was going to be about, okay, this is how you take care of kids and this is what you do. The orientation was like, let me talk, talk to you about who you are as a Black woman, as a Black, you know, young girl. And, and we're not starting after the Mayflower, we're starting before the Mayflower, right? And so the, the, the beautiful thing is that our, the, the rooms, the groups that we were in, like the camp rooms were all named after, every year it was named after different things. So one year it was named after the Kwanzaa principles. One year it was named after ethnic groups on the, you know, throughout the continent. We learned everything, right? The, the original name of Africa, you know, uh, Akabulan and the fact that it's not a country. It's not a, you know, it's not a country, it's a continent and all these kinds of things. So it was always important to me. And then when I was, I've always been spiritual. I have a different spirituality now than then, but I used to always, I was Christian, hardcore, like didn't listen to like secular music, all these kinds of things. And so, but I did used to pray a lot. And so one time in prayer, I I felt like spirit was telling me that I would be going, I would be studying abroad in, in Africa on the continent. And I was like, bet, I would love to, right? And so by the, the end of my studies, I saw this opportunity to study abroad and in Ghana, and I could have gone to South Africa. I chose Ghana because it was more Black people in the pamphlet. So I did that. And again, I was, I was so heavy in my Christianity at that time that this was the first time that I had been in a context where I wasn't going to church for the half a year that I was there. And then even when I did go to church, so one of the, the things that was pivotal for me and I'm going to try to make this short, but one of the things that was pivotal for me is that I'm this, this girl, this young woman, I should say, she was sitting on the bench and I was standing there waiting for someone else. And she was like, you're invited. And I was like, huh? Like, and she was like, you're invited. She had nuts in her hand. And so we started a, a conversation. I was like, oh, thank you. I took the, you know, I took some nuts or whatever. And I asked her what her name was. And she said, Linda. It's like, Linda? I did not expect to come to God and meet somebody named some damn Linda talking about that's her, her her Christian name. I was like, that shit is not even in the Bible. How is that your Christian name? And so I began, that was one of the beginning ways, you know, in that, those months that I was there learning about Kwame Nkrumah and just learning about how Christianity was used to colonize and different things like that. And how 
you know, until Kwame Nkrumah, like you, you, because of colonialism, imperialism, you weren't allowed to use your, your African name, where your traditional, where, how all these things were stolen from, their, their spirituality and all these sorts of things. And I began to think about it in new and different ways. So I came back and I was going to church, but it was hollow for me now because now I was questioning things like, this is a form of social control, it feels like, and this, you know what I mean? And so it would still be an, another two or three years that I was going in church. And because I had been for 10 years so ingrained in my identity, I didn't know who I would be outside of church. So I, I didn't necessarily leave. But then something happened. And I ended up leaving with my then husband, who was Ghanaian, and began to see things in new and different ways. And so really for then, it was, you know, like you were just out there not really having, I didn't have much of a direction. And so I would say for like a good 20 year period, I, I was finding my direction. And without intention, I was decolonizing and purging from the doctrine that I had received. And so now it has been so much more intentional because when, even when I went back for my doctorate, I was focusing on you know race as a context and race within institutions and how providers could be more culturally competent and all these kinds of things. And so it, it having been, this is the last piece of the story, having always felt like an outsider, because I've never really kind of fit in. I've always had a hybrid identity. I'm Trinidadian American. I am this, that, like I've always been here and there. That's like my life story. Ha being very aware of what it is to feel other within a context led me to really think about, you know, race, ethnicity, and all these things. And, you know, that intellectual pursuit has been my salvation in many ways. Wow, thank you. So many questions. And part of, yeah, part of what's, I think, what's so nice, Narissa, is like your ability to tell that, like, that has, your journey has not been like a straight line, right? And the way that you could quickly punch that up to like just help people be able to see and understand how you've gotten here. And I'm gonna have a longer struggle because <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know how I, because you know, the, the, as you were even talking, part of what I was really appreciating, right? And I think it's true about, I think we were talking about this earlier, it's true about like the ways in which you have been like actively decolonizing, right? And, and, you know, part of, as, I, as, you were, as you were talking, I was thinking about my own self. And it's interesting because I, I think the piece, and I think this is why it is interesting that we like, decided to do this together because you are always, I think your work and the things that you're doing is constantly talking about decolonizing, right? And the piece of like where I enter this conversation is around um, being degemified, right? I'm gonna explain that concept to y'all in a, in, a, in a later, just, just hold at it, right? But it's like, as you were telling your story, I was noticing that my story has really around, been around like my journey around becoming degemified, right? Being my degemification process. Yeah. So I was just saying like how my story is, a, my, my story is around, like when I think about my story, like my point is like literally in our telling of our stories, it's the, the context. You're telling a story of decolonization of your own self. And the story I'll be telling is a story of my own journey into degenification. And, and if you're in the audience and you're like, wait, what is the, is that even a word? Watch our next episode, Mike. We're going to break it down, explain it and all that. But I think the gist of like how I would say is like, you know, I, so I'm Nigerian, born in Nigeria, born and raised in Nigeria, moved to this country when I was about 12 years old. And 
as Nigerian Yoruba specifically, you know, similar to, to you, Narissa, like, you know, I did not grow up. I talk about not growing up with the burden of racism, right? Is anti-Blackness really Nigeria? Very much so. Even though my people would deny it all day long, ask them about their bleaching creams, all right? But the, the gist here is that, you know, I, I think that if I'm even honest about it, I think that I started thinking much more consciously around race when, like, I've been having lots of experiences, right? And not having language for, for the racialized experience I was having. And I think my, you know, when I moved to this country, I was 12 years old. And my first, and if, if you look at my poetry, when I was younger, I would write poetry. I remember writing one poem within the first, maybe, maybe first year or two years that I've been in this country, where I talk about the experience as a teenager walking into 7-Eleven and being followed. And my white friends not being followed, that was really confusing to me. Yeah, so, you know, fast forward to, you know, so just, I was just not clear around, it was not until that experience that I personally realized that there is a, in this country, right, in America, consequences for my Blackness. I had never experienced that, being somebody who grew up in Nigeria, moved to this country, started high school. And again, kind of the same container you were talking about is saying, as Nigerians and Africans, because we live in a, in society where most of us are pretty homogeneous, right, in terms of our, like, different hues, right, but we're all Black people, right? So just never, not just understanding what it means to be racialized, right? And so it was a quick lesson, or was my beginning of my initiation. Anyway, fast forward to, like, you know, going to, going to school, all of that. And, um, you know, I remember actually even, like, you know, I, my, my ex-girlfriend, um, we used to have this stupid fight. It used to feel like such a stupid fight to me right, where she was trying to bring attention to the fact that, like, as an African, there are ways in which in this country, sometimes what even happens is that this thing that happens that white people do that put Africans in battle with African-Americans, right? So she was trying to point out to me, like, how, I can't remember what the conversation we were having, but I'll never forget it now, especially with this, like, concept of gemification and degemification that I'm, like, in now of, like, isn't it interesting to me that like I was one of the people who would always, I was, anytime people wanted to give awards out to a black person, it was always me or someone that like looked and sounded like, and part of what she was really talking about. And I didn't understand that then was around how whitewashed I was and just the way in which like the, my consciousness as somebody who didn't go up in this country was very, very similar to, to the consciousness of white people right, uh, like in the emerging, you know, so I think part of, you know, so I went to school, did all that stuff, and was very, very, like, there was a point when I, I was talking with another uh, clinician, and this, by the way, this Dr. Marjorie Nightingale, she is a badass, a badass clinician, so if you find her, if you ever see her doing a talk, go, she's brilliant, anyway, so she was, she was doing, so I was learning this model called emotional focus therapist and emotional focus therapy. And that's the model I used to do my couple's work. And she was, so she's been in, she wasn't processed again, her doctoral degree at that point. And she was doing some research where she was essentially studying the application of this model with like African-American, like black American people. And so what, so she was like in conversation with me and she was like, 
Uki, so I'm doing this research. And so she has like a qual- qualitative, like and she's doing interviews with her participants. And she's like asking about their experiences of, I think he was talking about race in therapy. And so she was like, Boogie, can you believe that even like folks, even black therapists ain't talking about race with their clients, with their black clients, with their clients of color. Can you believe it? And I was like, no, I cannot believe it. And inside of me, I was like, oh shit. I'm one of those therapists who's absolutely, unless my client was bringing it up, I actually wasn't raising it. And I was like, it was one of those first moments of like being really aware of like ways in which I had been, um, like I said, whitewashed and trained really, really well to not talk about like race in professional, right? I'm having these conversations with my friends. I'm having these conversations like around race with my people, right? In non-professional settings. But there's this different way that I realized I was engaging and showing up around race and racism in professional settings that was really um, curious to me. So, you know, so it was one of those pieces where I was like a moment of like internal like awareness. I don't even think I would even call it reckoning yet. And I, and I noticed a discomfort. I noticed, let's not call it discomfort. I noticed shame. I noticed shame about it, especially because um, of my clarity that people were choosing and opting into seeing me because of my blackness. So part of it is this piece of like becoming aware that like, wait, I'm, my clients are finding me because they want a client, a therapist that looks like them. And then here I am not even raising, not even bringing up race unless they had the like, unless they brought it up. So there was just this piece around just feeling like mad shame about it, feeling like mad disappointed around about it. And then also recognizing that like, I hadn't, not only had I not been taught, but like actively discouraged, like our, our, our programming, the way our, like our programs as like when you're being trained as a psychologist, the only conversations where we, we were like anyone was invited to really talk about race explicitly was really when they would be training white clinicians to say, to do that piece around like, so what is it like to work with a white, a white therapist, right? To talk to when you're working with a client of color, right? And so that's my, that was my only even like awareness or like introduction of like how you can bring that into the clinical, into the clinical setting. Right. So it was just one of these pieces where like, I was just like, all these things were sort of like making sense. Like, just like, it was like, click, 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 click internally for me. Then I went to this conference, y'all right on the name of this conference. By the way, one of the people you will hear me refer to in the like season of this is one of my mentors, Dr. Kenneth Hardy, one of the most brilliant human beings I've ever like met. Like if I could have a day to just sit inside this man's brain, I would. And like, I, like I give up the day I would do, I would do it. Anyway, I went to a conference that, that Ken did called the Soul War Conference. And it's a conference that's focused on healing. And it is actively, you know, whatever the theme of this conference is, it's always talking about like really doing our work as people. Uh, folks, of, it's, it's designed for folks of color, right? Um, white people are certainly invited as well. And white people who are also going to be doing their work while they're there, trust me. But the piece that like, I can't remember what it was about that experience. But it was the first time that I got clear around this thing I was talking about earlier around objectivity and how this idea, it was the first time that I realized that all of these models that, you know, as clinicians, we're trained to be objective, right? That's almost like the cardinal rule is around this piece about not imposing any of our agenda. 
So part of the reason why we are trained out of like not bringing up, for example, right, ask clinicians of color who move around in a, a quite racist world and no experience of racism, right? We are not bringing up and getting curious with our clients independently about like their experience of race and racism, right? Because if the client didn't bring it up, then that's my agenda, right? So when I've been trained to not do that, right? But part of the piece that got clear to me is that these models that I had been like touting and like holding up and like using as my like clean objective lens through which I'm working with people. I just got, it was like the first time where I was like, wait, men and usually white people, white men, some of EFT white women design this model and whose values are actually built into these models? Theirs. So this idea of objectivity, I'm sitting here thinking I'm being objective. I mean objective. I'm just imposing somebody else. So it was one of those moments where I got clear and I was like, oh, oh, you know? So it's like, it's one of those that like, just I, I would sort of describe as like part of what my awakening and like has really like really helped me see the ways in which that I was colluding and I was engaged in collusion with white supremacy by actively avoiding and engaging in professional, as a professional with race and racism, right? Given the ways in which like the power I was only like acquiring as a clinician, as like, I'm doing talks, I'm doing whatever. And I'm like, right. I was just, you know, Dr. Dr. Ken Hardy talks about this piece around like being trained to be a good, like a, just be a good white therapist, right? But we have like different, we're people of color walking around, but really we're just like any other than like white therapist, right? So one of those moments where I really saw myself and I was like, yeah, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for that. And so that's really part of like the, you know, it's my long, very long-winded story to help y'all understand like how I've gotten here. And like, I am in like battle, like literally daily, Right. Like when I do talks and I you know, go to these conversations um, and this is what I'm hired to do now. Right. Is to support organizations, certainly in building their capacity to have conversations about race, racism and inequity and how long it took me to be able to use the word white supremacy with white people present in professional spaces. Right. And I know y'all know about that. Right. So anyway, that's just my story. I am so excited about like just what we have planned for you all and the conversation we're going to be getting into, because my hope is that you will be using myself and Narissa as just like one, as like the way Narissa talks about it, like a point on the spectrum, right? Of like what liberation looks like and we're all in our different places in the journey. And yeah, that's, 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 that's what I got, Narissa. <laughs> yeah, loving it, loving it, loving it. And so, yeah, so in all in all, this conversation is a good sample for all of you to, to know about what the rest of our podcast will be about. It is, it is going to be about liberation journeys. How do, how did, what has this process been like? Because all of you are on, I'm assuming, listening to this somewhere in your liberation journey. And, you know, to be able to have this supportive community of people who are decolonizing, liberating, coming back home to themselves and all these kinds of things, we offer, we hope to offer something useful for your journey. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you love what we have to say, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Dr. Narissa, and you can find me on IG at Dr. Narissa Williams. And I'm Dr. Buki. You can find me on IG at the official Dr. Buki. You can also stay abreast of our latest offerings at our website, radicalremembering.com. <laughs>